Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstel, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. When you have the passion to do good and make a difference, there is nothing better than having credible, compassionate, vocal allies in your corner. For women in tech and STEM, Brad Johnson and Dave Smith are those allies. In their books, Athena Rising and soon to be released, Good Guys, as well as multiple Harvard Business Review articles, they give us all a guide to putting gender equity on the fast track in the workplace. In the next 40 minutes, we'll talk about allyship, what it looks like, especially now that work from home has made painful barriers and inequities so obvious. We talk about what it will take to turn a COVID-19 work-from-home disruption into a game-changing, win-win opportunity for everyone, and what companies need to do to make sure that we develop change that lasts. You'll want to listen to this entire show as Brad and Dave share some surprising observations about work-from-home life and action that men and companies need to take right now to help all of us move forward. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast. This morning is a real treat for me. I have two of my favorite guests back on the show, and Brad Johnson and David Smith, who are researchers, have written prolifically, have books out, a new one coming out soon, on women in the workplace and male allyship and mentorship. So Brad and David, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Karen. Great to be here with you. This is this is Brad Johnson, and I will just go ahead and maybe offer up a bit, Karen, about how Dave and I got started in this, and maybe Dave can do the same, and really looking forward to this conversation. I'd love for you to chat just a little bit about the path that brought you both here to be doing this very important research, the writing and your advocacy. Also, feel free to share a little bit about the books that you've put out, the one that's coming out, and the articles that you've been producing through Harvard Business Review. Yeah, yeah, happy to. So Brad Johnson here, and I'm a clinical psychologist and a professor at the Naval Academy, and I've spent most of my career writing about mentoring and especially what that looks like when it's done really well. Always have noticed the research literature on gender and mentoring and have paid special attention to the fact that women especially in the workplace and in male-centric environments, often get less mentoring, they get less sponsorship, often the quality of the mentoring they get is not so good, 
for different reasons men can avoid mentorships with women. And so have always been concerned and intrigued by that. And then a number of years ago, along came a new colleague at the Naval Academy, Dave Smith. And Dave is a sociologist. He is someone who writes in the area of gender, work, and family, especially focused on dual career couples in the workplace. And we began collaborating on this prickly question about what keeps men on the sidelines when it comes to developmental relationships with women and how to be better allies generally in the workplace. So our first book, Athena Rising, was all about interviewing lots of women in different organizations and professions and women who had really made it to senior leadership and asked them, did you have a male mentor along the way? And if so, what did that look like? What did he do well? And then maybe what didn't work so well for you? And then put all of that together in a sort of a book, a manual, a toolbox for dudes on how to be better at this. So we have been busy in that endeavor, going around talking organizations, men and women, about how these cross-gender mentorships can really be powerful in the workplace. And Dave, why don't you talk about our more recent endeavor? Yeah. Hello, everyone. This is Dave Smith. And as Brad said, I'm a sociologist and I do all my research and writing in the area of gender work and family, looking at kind of gender career paths, bias, gender bias, and intersectional bias in a, in a variety of different settings. And what was really intriguing that, you know, when Brad and I started this work was the fact that even in the mentoring perspective, that in many ways, men did not see the need or in many ways were reluctant to engage in mentoring with people who weren't like them, especially women. And there was a whole host of reasons for that. And the first book came out, Athena Rising, in 2016. We were busy speaking and doing workshops and, and really felt like we were making headway there. And then Me Too went widespread around the world in 2017, about a year later. And it was interesting. We were getting pulled into conversations more and more about the broader aspects of allyship and what do allies look like in the workplace. And because it's really about engaging lots of people at all levels of the organization and not just in a narrow niche area of mentoring and sponsoring, but more broadly, I mean, how we show up in the workplace every day for women. And so we set out to do that research and in much in the same way, distilling a lot of the, the latest social science and behavioral science research, but also with hundreds of interviews with high-flying women across industries and profession, including tech and STEM, and talking to them about what they found most useful in terms of men who showed up as allies in the workplace. What did that look like? What did they do? How did they, what kind of relationships did they have with these men? And what would they like other men to know about those relationships? And, and how could they be better at this? And we do more engaging in these kinds of relationships. And what's interesting, we decided that it was most appropriate that the only men that we would interview would be men that were nominated by these women that we interviewed because we didn't want men to self-promote or self-proclaim themselves as allies. And so we wanted women to call them out as allies. And those were the men that we spoke to. And it was a really great group of men that we had a chance to talk with. And I think it was really inspiring for us to see the incredible work that's going on out there that just needs more visibility and really kind of boiled down into best practices that are evidence-based and that can be shared with lots of other people out there. And that's part of our new book, Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace, which will come out in October. So we're excited about that. We're in the final stages here of the book going into press, and that'll be out with Harvard Business Review Press in October. So that's kind of where we are at this point. So 
you've done so much work and research. A lot of it was done even for the new book coming out in October, Good Guys, in a workplace that was really different than what we're experiencing for the last, I don't know, it seems like 300 days, <laughs> but we're now like into May. So the time that we've spent now at home with this new work from home model, seems like it's revealed a lot that is pertinent to your research. So I'd love to kind of explore that about how the inequities in the workplace are related to what we're discovering about the difficulties of everybody now working from home. Can you kind of dig into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. This is Dave again. And so let me start. And then I'll, I know Brad will have some that he would l- like to add in there too. And let me go back to our research with the book first, because I think one of the key elements here that we heard over and over again from most of the women that we interviewed was that gender equity starts in the home. And we really cannot have gender equity in the workplace. We can't solve a lot of the problems that we want to solve in the workplace until we start to level that playing field. And we have men as all in equal partners in the home doing their fair share. Because otherwise, again, you're going to have this imbalance in in terms of time, in terms of resources, and it, it won't work. And it also, from a perspective of allies in the workplace, if you think about it, women could hear men coming in and talking a good game at work right? They're on their ally cape and talking a good game, but then recognizing and realizing that seeing what they were really doing at home didn't match. And so they were very skeptical as they should be about what are, are you a real ally if you're not doing it at home? And the research really backs this up too. We find from a parenting perspective for men who are doing their fair share at home and balancing the load of doing the chores and the typical day-to-day household responsibilities for their sons, they're teaching them what, again, a more balanced perspective of what gender roles look like for men and women at home and in the workplace. And so when their sons eventually get to the point where they, they're off into the workplace, again, they'll have this expanded perspective of what these gender roles look like. And that'll necessarily change, right, how the culture of the workplace. And then for our daughters, when the research shows that when men are all in equal partners, their daughters are more likely to persist and reach their career aspirations, to reach their career goals. They're more likely to go into non-traditional industries and fields like tech and STEM. And so, again, there's there's great advantages here for our children, too. But there's, there's more to it, right? So as we get into the current situation, we've known for decades that there's been an imbalance in gender equity in terms of in who does what in the house, right? Women have always done more hours per week in terms of household responsibilities, in terms of child care, right? So the question is, now that we're all kind of working from home for the most part, does that change, right? So now men who were, who were working in the workplace now teleworking, working from home, would that change? And what the research the early research is showing is that it's really not changing the inequities in terms of the imbalance of who's doing what in the home. It's actually gotten worse in in a lot of different ways because we've now also added on top of the normal household chores and the childcare in many ways, there's also school, homeschooling going on for many people right now. And we find that, again, the research shows us that women are much more likely, the mothers are more likely right now to be doing that homeschooling. So it's a triple whammy against them. And oh, by the way, they, in many cases, they're teleworking as well. So there's the added challenge of trying to do your job, of trying to do the all, all these other responsibilities right now. But what we find is that in some cases, men, they're getting an upfront 
you know, right in their face seat look at what really goes on. The struggle, the juggling of children, of household responsibility, of planning and organizing. And we kind of tend to focus on a lot of the task related aspects of this in terms of the household chores and childcare. But there's also the cognitive or emotional labor that, again, mothers and women are much more likely to be doing in terms of planning and organizing and keeping track of different activities and birthdays and who needs what for clothes and what's on the grocery list and all these kinds of mental lists and things that are going on, they add up. There's definitely a lot more stress put on women because of that. And men are getting an upfront seat, seeing what that's all about right now. And in some of our own interviews, we heard from men telling us that they have a greater appreciation for relationships with both their partner and with their children because they're getting to spend time not just task-oriented. Right now, they can do a little more kind of emotional bonding and relational bonding with their kids out there today. So we're encouraged by hearing that, but the research still is a little bit challenging in terms of we're still a lot of imbalance in terms of the amount of hours and the amount of work that women are doing at home. Brad, other, other thoughts in there? Yeah, I think that really covers a lot of the good stuff. I think that You know, Karen, had we written Good Guys, our forthcoming book, after the pandemic, (laughs) there probably would have been some things we would have tweaked or added, you know, or reinforced. I think a lot of the messaging is the same, but we would reinforce some things. And Dave really got to, hey, you've got to show up first at home if you want to be a partner for gender equity at work. I would just say one other thing we're seeing here is really adaptive couples are finding creative ways to do a genuine kind of 50-50 partnership at home, doing things like making arrangements about who's going to be doing a paid day today and who's going to be doing unpaid work, you know, and then maybe tomorrow we're going to flip it. You know, it's, it's your paid day. I'll do all the domestic and childcare stuff tomorrow. That's my unpaid day. So I love that kind of creativity really thoughtful, supportive partners are doing right now. The other thing that I would say is male allies in this pandemic moment are going to learn some things that they need to export back to the workplace. And one of those is actively supporting processes and systems that are good for everybody. So we're learning about flex time. We're learning about paid family leave, parental leave, job sharing. I mean, these are things that women have been doing for years, but there's always been some stigma associated with that. Men don't take their full parental leave because it's viewed as a women's sort of benefit. I think men are learning that, no, this is for all of us. And it's only really going to be 50-50 at work if men are advocating for and taking their parental leave, asking for flex time, doing job sharing. We need to do that ourselves as men so that it normalizes it for everyone, including our female colleagues. I love the things that you're bringing out here that men are really getting an upfront view now that they are you know, front and center at home and seeing what's really going on there and have a greater appreciation for it. I guess one of the things I'm curious about is in this and, and of course, we, know, we don't know the answer, right? We don't have that crystal ball. But it seems like whenever we have an enormous disruptor happen, we always have that opportunity for making change that is like, okay, the slate kind of got erased. What are we going to do differently that we weren't doing before that will make this better for everyone? And I'm just so hopeful 
that we will have like clear strategies and clear action plans so that when we are talking about equity and allyship, that we will have a way for people to show up at home in a way that really shares the burden and shares the load so that everybody wins, right? That we we don't just have a, a head game about appreciation and not do it, <laughs> right? Yeah. You mentioned like some things that people are actually doing now that are you know, couples who have thought about it, who are really taking action, who are serious about allyship and equity and doing the kind of sharing the what the paid days and the unpaid days. That's a big, that's, that's really creative. And it's not that hard, seems like. Any other thoughts about what could we put in front of people that would be tangible strategies that they could try or companies? What should companies do that would help make this better? Anything? Yeah. You know, one of the things we mentioned, obviously, with the work from home, there's a lot of teleworking or whatever remote work arrangements, flexible work arrangements we're going through right now. And I think because prior to the pandemic, at least, these were all often perceived as programs that they were kind of stigmatized because they were seen as for women, right? Programs that women took. And if and if guys, in many cases, would not take them because they were stigmatized in that way. In reality, if you think, again, before the pandemic, the availability of telework, men were much more likely to be in jobs that had that availability than women were. Although women were much more likely to use it by about 10 hours worth more per week than men were. So there's an appreciation that we hear more and more going on in the conversation right now from men about one, the value of telework and that, wow, you know, I can actually get, I can save time on my commute. I'm actually really productive and efficient with my time at home when I can have it carved out appropriately. And again, that gets back to the balance right now because in many cases there's, there's children at home and there's other things going on in the background. So you have to find ways to carve out the time approach, but using leveraging that appreciation, that newfound appreciation for flexible work or telework, we need to go back when we, when we go back into whatever the new normal is, is how do we integrate that in to our new schedule of what work is? How often are, should we be in the office? Do we need to be in the office? Is it better from a work balance or work-life balance perspective? And I think most people agree that it is, right? To have a certain amount of that flexible work arrangements built in to our work schedule. And I think leaders out there today are beginning to think about that, about how can we do this? We see in, in the a lot of reports in tech companies right now where they're you know they weren't so sure about sending everybody home but now they're they're not so sure about bringing everybody back because we feel like we can do a lot of this from home and we're just as effective if not more right and people are happier in some cases because well I can actually have the flexibility to kind of balance the things in my life right at the same time I can be really productive with my work and just think when daycare and childcare and schools are reopened to some extent where the children are back out how even more productive we could be. We've got to do that. And the other one, again, this applies to a large part of the population out there, but it's an important part. And that's relative to paid sick leave that, again, we're seeing the costs associated with that right now for people who are in those jobs. And it most most likely affects women and women of color who don't have access to paid sick leave in, in situations like this. And it's so critical that we appreciate that right now and are advocating for creating the policy to make sure that that is implemented as soon as possible. The other one, the last one I would say is if you're not involved as a leader in your company and thinking about access to childcare, you need to be now. 
because this whole thing is not going to work until we figure out how to get affordable and available access to childcare for everyone. And there's a lot of creative ways to think about that, to do that in terms of how you can do it on site or you can partner with in the local community or you can do vouchers or, you know, again, companies are being creative with it. They're certainly recognizing the need that we've got to have some way to do child care so that our people can get back to work. These are such great things. I'm excited. I'm excited for the possibility, right? I'm kind of like scared to hold my breath <laughs> because it would be so easy to slip back into the way we were doing things. But now that we are hearing, I mean, who knows? There's no official policy, people who are listening to the show. I don't know of any official policy about this, except that there is a lot of talk about the fact that we don't think schools, it's possible the schools may not open again in the fall. So we're not into a, oh, this is going to be over soon. We're into a protracted situation that is like affecting people. It's really ripped the bandaid off of the, not just the inequity of women in the tech workplace, which is the majority of our audience on here, but it's actually all of the all of the workers in the service industries who don't have you know paid sick leave as you mentioned and that kind of thing we have such an immense opportunity to make it better for everybody i hope we will do that so your platform you guys have harvard business review you are very active on linkedin i love your posts thank you for being so vocal there how do you see using a platform where you have that voice and others with you who can kind of encourage these changes that need to happen. They sound to me like policy changes, corporate HR policy changes, government policy changes, at home policy changes. It's pervasive up and down the chain. How do you see that happening? And what kind of a platform would we need to do to try to get that moving forward? I mean, or is it already moving forward? Do you see that? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting kind of reflection, Karen, about, you know, what do we need to really move the needle on a number of these initiatives? When we were going through all the research and literature on allyship, one of the things we found was that terrific allies, and, and in the case of our work, male allies for women, they do two kind of big categories of things. And and so category one, you know, Dave and I kind of frame as the easier part of allyship, and it's how you show up in relationships with women that you work with, right? What are you like interpersonally? Are you a collaborator? Are you affirming? Are you a good listener? Do you tend to be supportive of making sure everyone's voice is heard in the workplace? So what do you like in your own relationships with women? And by the way, that includes what we've been talking about, about being a real ally for your own partner at home. The second part of allyship is the tougher part. And I think men struggle with this one a bit more. And that is the public systemic allyship. And we're kind of getting to that when we're talking about these policies and shifts we need to make in leadership at work. You know, and there are different parts to being a public ally. You know, number one, I, I call stuff out that is not working or is not appropriate or, you know, I hear that sexist comment or that biased joke in a meeting. I got to be a guy who says something about that. And likewise, if I'm in leadership, I've got to be advocating for things that make the workplace work for everyone, not just white men like me. And so I'm asking questions like Dave was a moment ago about do we have childcare? And, you know, we're losing a lot of women right now during the pandemic. Women are disproportionately being furloughed and losing jobs. If I'm in a leadership position, 
I've got to ask the question, how are we not going to lose ground on all this gender balance we've been working on and achieving? So could we create things like returnships for women? Women have been doing a lion's share of the domestic work at home. How do we create pathways for them to rapidly return to work when we start getting back to normal? How do we get really active at recruiting more women and pushing them forward? So I think that men have got to be doing both of those, the interpersonal, the public systemic, or this is really going to be a struggle for us. And Dave, we have been also talking about, is it important to have this come from the top or grassroots or both? And maybe you can take that away. Yeah, absolutely. And and we do get that question a lot, right? Where do we start? And that was kind of where you were going, Karen, I think. And it does seem there are a lot of things that we can do kind of from a big, broad, even, you know, at the federal government level, right? There are things that the federal government could be doing from a policy perspective. And then there's things, you know, down at the company level that we could be doing maybe in front of. And so we can get out. If the federal government isn't going to stipulate that there be access to pay, you know, mandatory paid sick leave or access to childcare, whatever the case might be. Companies can do that. And we do find that often the companies are the ones that are out there on the front lines who are being innovative and they're getting in front of these and trying to do this work. And so I think that, again, leaders looking back now at the lessons learned of what we've learned over the last two or three months here, I think can take some of those lessons and apply them and to what they want to achieve with their company. And, and in particular, if you're a company that is paying attention and is looking to increase your gender diversity or other forms of diversity within your organization, and, and most companies today are trying to do that, then you've got to think about, all right, well, so what are the things that we can, what are the policies or the practices that we can put in place that will help us to do that? The other interesting thing, you know, we were looking at some research here recently that for the class of 2020, you know, just graduating right now. And these these people who are looking to come into the workforce, the Gen Zers out there, right, that they're paying attention to. It's like 35, 40% of them in general are paying attention to a company's diversity and inclusion policy, their practices. Are they doing what they say, you know? Is their branding and matching up with what they say they're actually doing? Do they talk about it? Are they transparent in what they're trying to accomplish? Again, the workforce that we're all, we're looking to reach into that talent pool and to make sure that we're getting the best and brightest. If you're an employer wants that, you've got to be thinking about how am I going to do this? And what are these policies and practices we can do? So I think there's a lot at the, you know, at the corporate level that we can be thinking about today. But as Brad said, you know, I think it's just as important at the grassroots level that men individually think about how they're showing up in the workplace and what are the specific actions they can be doing every day that make a difference, right? And supporting and changing the culture within the organization. And I think that's an important part that we're also working towards. So the answer is both, as always, both and. And I think there's a lot of great work that we can be doing on both ends of that. Yeah. Oh, I totally, I totally see that. It's a, a clamshell, right? We have to do the top down and the bottom up together. And I just appreciate your perspective with all of the work that you've done up to this point and continue to do, how you can help us all see that more clearly and formulate some action plans. I wanted to just touch on one thing too, like you mentioned grassroots. So much of what I see as influence has to do with the way we popularize things. Like the way that something kind of goes viral in terms of a concept. Take it, for example, Me Too. 
right? All of a sudden, everybody around the world kind of started to understand what that meant. And you talk in your work about this wimp penalty for guys who show up as advocates for women in the workplace and who show up as, you know, gender allies. And I'm wondering how we might even reverse that. What is that? What is the new way? It's like that it's so old to call somebody a wimp for being an ally. Now that we are enlightened and we know what's really going on out here, how do we change that? And I'm curious to see, uh, you know, what might come out of it. And that might be the Gen Zers that are the ones who help us see that. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. If you're listening out there, give us your ideas. <laughs> It is such a, you know, Dave and I do write about the whim penalty, and it does always make us laugh, Karen, that it is part of male psychology and male socialization that we are, even if we deny it, we are sort of created in some way uh, to be concerned about the evaluations of other men. And, you know, guys have different terms for this. You know, I'm afraid I'll lose my man card or, you know, whatever it is, I'll be called a wimp. And that has kept men on the sidelines. We do find research in social psychology showing that, you know, when a really sexist or harassing thing occurs in a meeting, if it's an all-male meeting, it's much less likely that somebody's going to say anything, right? So guys stay silent. They remain bystanders when it's mostly men or exclusively men. And that is something, you know, that we've got to overcome. I think in terms of how to do that, you know, you mentioned the grassroots part, Karen, and I think that's crucial. Dave and I see networks that are really kind of grassroots of male allies beginning in a lot of companies and organizations. And often what we see is you get a few very influential men to become interested in gender equality, to start going to the women's ERG events, maybe then start arranging a male ally sort of organization or subtrack in that women's ERG. And suddenly, you know, if that guy is influential, other men start paying attention. You know, this is not aberrant. This is actually what really competent, thoughtful male leaders do. And I'd like to be a part of that. So it flips the narrative. But you need to capitalize and leverage on those guys that are already kind of doing the work. And, that, and that's something that you can do. You can tap these guys on the shoulder and say, hey, I know I heard you say that very ally-based thing in the meeting. You called something out or you you really disrupted something that was going on that was not fair to our female colleagues. Love to have you come to our male allies group or love to have you lead that. So I love beginning that way. One thing I, I would say is that you do have to be careful with the whole male ally. You know, I don't know if it's an, a movement or making it so popular that guys just want to run and self-label male ally. So we caution men, you know, don't call yourself an ally, do the work, right? Be the disruptor, show up as a great colleague to women at work. And if she calls you an ally, then, you know, feel good about that. But let's not self-proclaim allyship. Let's, let's do the work. Yeah. It's well, that's the most powerful. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, from a Brad's probably got lots of these stories too, but how many times when when you call something out or in particular talk about a gendered perspective on on a situation that wasn't you know it was kind of it was there but nobody was really saying anything about it it wasn't even to the point that it was sexist it might have just been kind of gender biased a little bit and the fact that if you just bring it up the thing that some people are seeing but nobody's saying anything in the situation right because 
Nobody wants to be that person that says something about it. But if you bring it up, just bring it into the conversation. People will talk about it and people are really appreciative. I can't tell you how many times I've done that and somebody will pull me aside later and go, wow, you know, I really appreciate you saying that. And it's not just women, right? There are other men who feel the same way and they were just like, you know, I just didn't know how to say it or how to, and the way that you talked about it made it so clear and obvious right? That we, we should all do want to say and do those things. And I think there's an appreciation in men that when we step up and we're, we are public and vocal and visible about that in terms of our, our words, our language and our behaviors, there's an appreciation because I think there's men out there that feel that way. They're just not really sure how to communicate it or how to put it into action. And a lot of that's what drove us, you know, when we were writing Good Guys was that we heard that from a lot of men. It was like, wow, you know, I really want to be a, you know, I want to be one of those kind of people. I feel that way. I believe in gender equity for lots of reasons, but I'm just not really sure how to talk about it or what to do, or people are going to look at me kind of funny. It's like, who are you to be doing that and saying those kinds of things? Like it's not my place. And so that was really a lot of what kind of motivated us in writing Good Guys to kind of get at these very explicit ways to think about how do I develop awareness? How do I talk about this? What's the evidence? What's the research? What are the things we ought to be doing and looking for? And then how to address it? That's what I love about what you're doing, that you're actually writing kind of the handbook and the encouragement that says, yeah, you know what? Do it. It's like, <laughs> here's how you can actually make this huge impact by simply absorbing these concepts, looking at it and getting over the fear factor of what's going to happen if I speak up. And you're making that so much easier for people by writing about it and sharing all of the great information that you've pulled together. I appreciate, I can't even express really how much I appreciate what you do. And I want every person who's listening on this show to get a copy. I've already got my copy of Good Guys on order. And I've also got my copy of Athena Rising. And I just want you guys to get those books and share them. Share them with influential men in your workplace. Share them with your partner. Share them with everyone you can think of to say, look, this is really an important thing. And we're not coming at this, I don't think, from a well, I hope we're not from a, a righteous standpoint or an angry standpoint. That's not going to win us any traction at all. But when we can come at it and go, you know what? We just learned now that our blinders are off. We just learned so much from this whole thing about work from home. Look what we've learned and look at the tools that we've got available to us to start making that difference because we've got guides like Brad and David, who have sat down and said, you know, you can make a difference and this is how, and this is not just opinion. It's really well-researched information. So that's my encouragement to everybody today is get the books that help us have the guide that says, this is how it can happen and share that information and do that in a spirit of collaboration and cooperation and a spirit of making this work better for everybody. I think That'll get us some, I'm hopeful, that's going to get us some traction. So how can they get a hold of you, Brad and David? How can people who are listening to the show today follow up with you? What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, so Dave and I have both got web pages, and that's probably the quickest way just to kind of see what we are working on and what's coming next and you know, maybe where we might be speaking once once we start speaking on the road again. I'm wbradjohnson.com. And Dave? 
go ahead and give your page. Yeah, mine's at davidgsmithphd.com. And you can you can reach out and there's a way to email and contact us on there. And you'll also see links to a lot of the, some of the things we're writing and recent articles out there, like with Harvard Business Review and, and other podcasts and different places we're speaking. And you can find a lot of that on the website as well. I would also encourage people, you know, to you reach out and contact, connect with us on LinkedIn. We love to do that out there. And certainly please go to hbr.org and and check out some of the articles there that we're, we're writing about this on a regular basis right now. I love it. This is gold, people. Listen <laughs> and take some action because you know, our opportunity to make the change happen doesn't come very often like this. In fact, this is like, as we all know, is a lifetime event, but disruption is what fuels change. And we're in the middle of it. Let's make it count. I'm just so grateful for you both. Thank you for all that you are doing for women in the workplace, for allyship, for mentorship, for showing us the way, for writing about it, talking about it. It's been delightful having you on the show. Thank you both for being here today. Thanks, Karen. Delight to join you today. Yeah. Thanks for including us and, and for being a great ally. Take care. We'll talk soon. 